Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 75, the three-quarter century, another milestone. And to join us on this great milestone, we've got Matt Santangelo as usual. How are you doing, Matt? Doing pretty well, but of course, we got another returning guest off the back of a Matteo Benetti appearance. So, Pat, introduce him. Well, we've got Harry Brooks back, uh, HB underscore uh, Royal Round Worlds coaching, something like that. Harry, how are you doing? Something like that. Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks, mate. Thanks for inviting me back on, boys. Uh, looking forward to it. Why don't you remind the listeners, for those that didn't listen to the last episode that you were on, I can't remember what episode it was, a little bit more about yourself and what you do and so on and so forth. Yeah, sure. So I train and work with professional and academy players in the UK and around Europe. Um, I've done this for a number of years. Um, that seems to be what pe- most people are sort of mostly interested in. That can be in a coaching basis. It can also be an analysis basis. Um, and that's what most people seem to be interested in. Um, that's predominantly what I do. Um, I have other projects in football. Um, so I also work in an independent academy that helps bridge the gap between grassroots and pro football and get players into clubs. So we push on average around six to eight players a year into pro clubs to get signed. Um, myself and my colleague are also directors in a talent agency now. Um, so yeah, football mad, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and recently relaunched your podcast, am I correct? Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, we've obviously been in lockdown, uh, trying to make the best of a bad situation. So we thought that we would uh, relaunch the podcast, um, turn it into a Patreon. So we'll see how that goes. It's all good fun. Um, we'll see what level it can get to. Um, you know, if we can get to half the level that you guys are currently doing, then we'll be very, very pleased. But um, <laughs> no, it's something we're looking forward to is a project we enjoy. Awesome. You can check them out at patreon.com forward slash coaches view uh, i'm sure some awesome content out there uh, from harry and your partner richard who's finally on twitter i told him i was just chatting off air i was like you you guys messaged me a year ago like pet how do we grow our podcast like we want to get this thing big and i was like richard have you got twitter and he was like no and i was like well that's <laughs> probably the first part but he's told us matt that he's coming on the podcast as well at some point which should be a great uh, chat whenever we get him on but harry listen no more pleasantries we want to get right into it because we had some breaking news today Lampard gone last episode basically you probably didn't listen but Martino basically went on like a six minute rant about why Lampard needs to go and how Chelsea have done really badly this season from top to bottom basically what's Mm. your basically analysis of this situation and this event that's leading up to it and also Thomas Tuchel coming in which is I think kind of underwhelming for maybe a lot of Chelsea fans Mm. I mean, it's kind of the environment that this is what Chelsea do. Um, we have to be brutal with it. It's, it. There's probably a different reaction to it this time because it's it's Frank Lampard that's happened to, probably Chelsea's greatest ever player or one of their greatest ever players, and it's a legend. And you know, but Chelsea do this in my whole lifetime, or you know, since I can remember with the Bramovich in charge. I think they've had is it 15 managers in 17 years, and you know, usually when you have that much turnover in terms of managers, then it doesn't really lead to success. But Chelsea, one of the very few clubs that can consistently turn over manager after manager and still achieve what they set out to in terms of trophies and, and that kind of success, whether you like it or not, that's what they do. Um, you know, it's, if, whether it was the right time for him to go, it's not for me to say. I, I think he made a lot of mistakes this year. Um, I think the team is, I think the, one of the biggest issues is that the team is horribly unbalanced. Mm. Um, you know, they made a lot of signings in the summer and that got a lot of people excited. But it's, for me, it felt, I mean, I predicted in the summer they would finish sixth and a lot of people kind of were surprised about that because like, oh, but look, they've signed Werner and Havertz and now they've got Thiago Silva and it's like, yeah, but they're kind of playing FIFA and mm. they just wasn't, it just, they're good talents and they're, they're, they're players that excite the fans and the, the wonder kids and, the established, you know, winner in Thiago Silva, but they're just there's a real lack of balance in that side. And, you know, Frank had a hard enough job as it was trying to maintain, you know, his, his status at Chelsea, let alone when you've got a squad that's unbalanced. In terms of who is in charge of all the transfers, I don't know. I've heard that obviously Havertz is a, I mean, he's a player I really, really like, but I know that's a player that Chelsea have been tracking for a long, long time, well before Lampard. So how much power he had over the signings, I don't know. But um, it just it just didn't seem to be a fit in the end, and uh, I think this was I think this was I think it was an inevitable outcome, you know, an inevitable outcome. The, a club would employ Lampard, perhaps that are happy to build and to grow and to to take time and to develop, and that's never been Chelsea's methodology. So, you know, unfortunately, it seemed the writing was on the wall um, when it started to go a bit haywire this season. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, Matt, we've been talking about, not Mourinho, we've been talking about Lampard for ages now Mm -hmm. on on the show. I think on the last podcast, I talked about how I don't think it's totally Lampard's fault. It's been a, as Harry said, a very unbalanced squad that's been built by the Chelsea hierarchy. Because remember, Lampard's not the only one who has a say in transfers. You've got Peter Cech. Like that relationship has clearly soured a little bit and that's why he's gone. But they have to also take some responsibility. You know, they've mm-hmm. bought players in positions they didn't really... Like last season, I thought Pulisic was Chelsea's best player, right? And then you go out and spend 55 million on Timo Werner who plays in the exact same position. You've got Callum Hudson-Odoi that's just coming back from injury and you buy Hakim Ziyech. So, okay, play in front of him. You might not be able to trust Callum Hudson-Odoi after a big Achilles injury. His form has been up and down as you'd expect for a player his age. But it's still kind of stunting a lot of growth. And then you go and get Thiago Silva um, when you've got Zuma, Tamori, uh, Christensen there. Like, and then you have to rely on him massively. And Rudiger then get, too. Uh, yeah, Rudiger as well. Like I just, it, it was all a bit kind of up and down. Then it just didn't, felt, didn't feel like there was a clear roadmap and game plan there. The only player that's really worked out for them in that youth crop at the moment is Mason Mount. Billy Gilmore's had a few injury uh, issues. Mm-hmm. Callum Hudson-Odoi's have obviously been really, really well publicised. But it just feels like, Matt, that um, he's not been able to work well with what he's been given, which I'm going to be honest, he's been given something that's not been very balanced. But also his, uh, as I said, his actual choices on the pitch have not been good, right? We talked about last episode, Mm -hmm. uh, starting Ziyech fresh back from injury against Man City. Crazy, you know? Um, In the last game, last few games, or how many many games he, he didn't pick, uh, Oli Giroud uh, playing Kovacic in a six in that uh, in that last game that they just played against Leicester. I thought that was pretty crazy. Um, there was been some on-field decisions that have smelt a bit desperate, and I guess you know uh, mm. the writing's been on the wall since maybe that City defeat. And you know, I think it was Martina who shared this in our WhatsApp chat just prior to us going live here about um, there was some sort of like imbalance in the locker room and the changing room amongst the players. I think they kind of were the players they didn't specify which ones but at some point I think it could potentially get leaked out similar to what we saw in Napoli right which which players were outing the manager were very critical um and this more or less has some sort of uh comparisons to that right you know there's the criticism of certain players and being very public about it and I think look we saw what Lampard did last year um in my opinion overachieved given the talent yes we all know there's a lot of young talent there but to do that with such pressure you're coaching the club that you become a player a, le- a legendary player at was was a phenomenal feat and i think we, we we've been tracking this right pet i think you know in the summer we were pretty much updating everybody on the moves that chelsea were making and despite all these new mendy chillwell um even when they were going after like declan rice you were like yeah but something seems off it seems like they're still missing something and I think, you know, Harry, you, you put it best. You know, it feels like a FIFA career mode. It's like Werner's in 87, ZX in 85, Havertz <laughs> yeah. is in 85. He's got potential. And it's like, go out there and play and we're going to win the Champions League. That's how it works, right? It's like, he, in, in a way, it's almost Chelsea were just, they just kind of backed up the Brinks truck and really made one of those massive pushes to just say, we're going to outspend everyone and we're going to see if we can just win on talent and talent alone. And you see the regression here. And it's tough to balance all these young players needing that necessary time. You know, we're going to be talking about Tomori, of course, but Tomori's shown growth. Hudson Odoi has shown growth. Why not keep going with them? Why not keep entrusting them with those minutes versus getting Ziek? Nothing against Ziek and nothing against, you know, uh, Tiago Silva. But I think there was something of a, a great dynamic that Chelsea were building under Lampard last year that you can add to, yes. But I think all these sorts of incoming players can really – shake the cages a bit and it can make a lot of these players young players a little nervy in the sense that they're like well we're bringing in Timo Werner here my job is pretty much at risk here like Tammy Abraham was a very good striker productive striker for Chelsea last I year I mean 15 non-penalty yeah. goals last season in and then you go starts. and get these players and it's like I understand adding depth I get that I mean you can make a case that you know he's fallen behind in, in the third in the in the pecking order behind Giroud too so mm-hmm. like how does that come off for a young player when you feel like you're seeing one project one year and it's, it's paying dividends, you know, they finished top four, um, you know, they made a, a cup final, they've shown some pretty good growth here. And then you go out there and you spend 250 or 400 million pounds, whatever the number is on all these sorts of high profile players. 
And now you have to manage all these personalities, the workloads. It, it was just, it seemed a little rushed. It seemed a little excessive. I think, yes, Mendy was needed. He's been pretty solid, all things considered. But now they got to sort of correct these things moving forward under Tuchel, which obviously is not going to happen in January. That's something that they're going to have to assess in the summer. But now you have to really kind of backtrack a bit, assess everything and say, well, where did we get it wrong with some of these players? Because obviously you can't keep everyone. Obviously you can't give everyone the minutes. And just speaking on Hudson Adore real quick before we move on, I didn't understand. I just don't understand why you can't give that guy the minutes. I don't, I don't know. I think he's shown plenty of, of capability, plenty of quality, so much that Bayern Munich were making a serious push at him. You give him the big contract, and then you don't kind of follow up that big contract offer by saying, you're our guy. Like, mm. I don't know. It just seemed really odd to me, and I think to see Chelsea in this position is not that all surprising, and I think we have the receipts, Pet, from the summer to pretty <laughs> much prove and justify um, where Chelsea are. And Harry, listen, like we don't want to keep talking about Lampard and what's bygones have, uh, have happened. Is Thomas Tuchel the, the right guy to come in? From a man management standpoint, it felt that he was a bit kind of rigid and uh, didn't really build that cohesive relationship with PSG players. You already see what Pochettino has done, you know, grabbing players by the neck and, and the cheek every time they come off and stuff. A really great relationship with Neymar and Bappe already. And then on the pitch tactically, Tuchel has felt a bit like a control freak. Um going from three to four at the back sporadically, sometimes in games, which isn't necessarily a bad thing sometimes. But is he the guy to get them back on track? I'm, I'm quite surprised that they've gone for a permanent signing here as manager. I mean, we were discussing, obviously, Chelsea's complete imbalance in the squad. So, you know, Tuchel, if it's one thing he does, he is, he is tactically flexible. Um, mm. He does adapt his team. So, you know, that might suit a, a Chelsea team right now that kind of need to be a bit flexible. They don't really have a set way of playing right now because they don't really have the players to play any set style of play. Um, I mean, the midfield is a big issue. Um, you know, I think there's, as a coach and certain ideas and, you know, he's clearly a very intelligent manager, um, clearly very intelligent in how he understands the tactical side of the game, certain innovations and his ability to adapt his size to play against certain opposition to expose their weaknesses and to, you know, minimise their, 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 weak, their own weaknesses. Um, He's very good at all that, but I think a lot of people, especially nowadays, they look at, um, I'm not saying Tuchel is one of them, but they look at um, a lot of managers and, you know, that seem to be doing the right thing, seem to have a set plan, seem to be tactically innovative and, uh, you know, the philosophers, etc. And there's nothing wrong with that, but a lot of people nowadays seem to ignore the importance of man management, especially in, well, no, managing any high-level athlete, even down at semi-pro, you have to be a good man manager because, you're dealing with good players and good players on big wages have egos and they're, you know, they're human beings and they're not robots. And, you know, that's why you sort of, that's for me why it's kind of going a bit off tangent, but why you've seen less of the Maverick in recent years, because you've seen a, a growing trend in the coaches that try to take as much control as possible. And they want players to obey orders and move into certain zones where they tell them to move into certain zones. And, you know, the Maverick talents like Neymar, and that they don't really adhere to that. You know, I'm not saying Tuchel said this at all, but let's say you had a manager that went and go and told Neymar, Neymar, all I want you to do, and Tuchel didn't say this, I'm just making a point. Let's say a manager went and said to Neymar, Neymar, I want you to just go stay on the left and just hit the byline and cross, 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 cross. Neymar would just go, nah, sod that. I'm doing what I want to do. And, you know, man management and knowing how to get the best out of your athletes is a huge, huge thing. And I guess where Tuchel has a, 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 a bit of an advantage here is, at the moment, because of obviously the embar transfer embargo last year and other things and the success of people like Mason Mount, um, Chelsea probably don't have too many egos in terms of superstar egos in the changing room. I mean, if he did struggle with man management and he still had players like Frank, like John Terry, like Didier Drogba, if they were still in the changing rooms and Tuchel wasn't a man manager, then it would end one way and that would be a failure. But, you know, I, I don't know Tuchel personally. I can't say whether he's a good man, man, man manager or not. And time will only tell. But I believe he's obviously shown proof of good tactical innovation. But obviously there has been um, doubts raised as to his, uh, his man management skills. So I guess, yeah, time will tell. It is a bit of a strange appointment. I can see, I guess the major reason was it was done is because they see him as someone that can maybe get the best out of the likes of Timo Werner. I think Timo Werner will be very, very happy. I think he needs a manager like Tuchel that will tell him where to be and where to go and have the team sort of designed to help him. Um, Havertz will 
whether Havertz might be pleased, I don't know. So that could be a reason um, how to get the best out of these young talents and uh, to fit them into a tactical system. But um, I guess time will tell. Time will tell. I mean, there's a lot of lazy journalism out there that he has just been brought in because of the German connection, um, <laughs> which I don't know, yeah. you know, there might be something to it. I mean, they've spent a hell of a lot of money on those two in Havertz and Werner. They haven't worked out so far. You know, you're talking about £125 million. I guess if you bring two who in and and it works out, then it's a great, it's a great acquisition for them as a manager. But I'm not too certain. I really... I just, I don't really see that one working out. It doesn't feel like a great fit to me. That's my gut instinct, but I don't know. Like it, it, it's, it's just a bit meh, isn't it, Matt? I don't know. Like I, I really felt like they would go for another interim manager and then go for someone like a, a Nagelsmann in the summer, someone a bit more progressive and dynamic, a, a Marco Rosa, um, someone like that, but clearly not. No, and I think we, you know, we, you look at the list of, you know, available coaches, right? If people were tossing around Allegri and look after Conte and sorry experiments, I don't know if they're going to go for another time and though Allegri's a little bit different in his personality. And obviously he's got the background, um, you know, winning the Scudetto, winning multiple trophies with Milan and what he accomplished at Juve. So I think, you know, Chelsea fans probably would have been okay with that. But I think there's got to be some sort of give and take, right? Because I think, you know, one of the reasons why Juve got rid of or pretty much mutually parted ways with Allegri was, well, look, I think we kind of reached a tipping point here. He's a manager that can win us trophies at the, at the domestic level. But stylistically, can he create that sort of progression, progressive style of football? So they went with sorry, right? And it didn't work out there. So now they're back to Pirlo. So it's like, you got to really understand what you want. And I think Tuchel is... A manager that you know, yes, he he did pretty well at PSG. Obviously, he wasn't far removed from being Champions League winners, right? It's crazy to think how quickly things can change in this game. But uh, look, at the end of the day, he's another manager. He's a manager that's going to be given X amount of time, and if he delivers results, then he's going to stay. If he's not, well, he's employed by Chelsea, and we all know what managers at Chelsea uh, uh-huh. their fate tends to be. So we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. I would be very interested to to hear the reasons why they wouldn't go for an Allegri because that is, if you think about you know Chelsea's blueprint for success, he's the kind of manager they go for. It's the mm. the established winner. They they're not mm-hmm. they're not a club that I think that you know I'm not doing any I'm not trying to disrespect Lampard here, but he probably arguably got the job last year because of Chelsea's transfer embargo and yep. they wanted someone that with the transfer embargo to help get the talented kids through. And fair play to him, he done a great job with that. There's, mm. People need to appreciate Lampard did do a lot of good work. You know, there's some of Chelsea's best players have been Mason Mount has probably been their best player. Yeah. Um, you know, right. and that's the, he's given him the chance and he's done a lot of good work at Chelsea. Work that will actually um, help Chelsea in the long run as well, not just short term. You know, there's, there's this is good work that he's done. Um, but if we are being really, probably got the manager to oversee that period. But that period is done now. I mean, they, it was certainly done in the summer when they spent all that money and. You know, if you look at the blueprint of Chelsea managers, they've been successful. I mean, off the top of my head, I know there's more, but Jose, um, Carlo Ancelotti, and um, Antonio, Con- Antonio Conte—they've probably been—they've probably been the three most successful managers. I mean, they were all big, big name managers. I know Jose and done—I mean, he, he just won the Champions League with Porto, so you know he wasn't really established in major, major clubs in Europe, but. He was obviously a big-time manager and a big ego and clearly someone that can manage big personalities at a big club. And they don't really go for the development manager. They don't really go for the, for the let's see if it works, the, the, the process managers. They don't do that, generally speaking. So I'd be interested to hear why they wouldn't go for a life in Allegri, the one that just will probably demand you success in the next 18 months. And then when that, or two years, and then when that gets a bit tired, then they'll sack him and get someone else that does the same thing. Mm. I mean, I guess the thing about the Chelsea model is, as you said, if it doesn't work, you can just sack them and go. Like they don't have their eggs all in one basket, as a, maybe an Arsenal do with Arteta, or maybe to a lesser extent, City do with Pep, where like everything is built around them to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, with Chelsea, it is literally like guy comes in, guy comes out if they don't do well. But um, let, let's go from one part of London to another. You're obviously a big Spurs man. Most of your followers are Spurs fans. I want to get your uh, reading of the current situation because it, it kind of felt that at one point earlier in the season, it was ready to make a, a title challenge, Spurs were. And then we kind of 
had the kind of same old story with Spurs. And it's not just me being uh, an annoying Arsenal <laughs> fan. Um, where have they done really well? Where have they not done so well? And what's your assessment of Mourinho as a whole in his kind of first full season? So, at the beginning of the season, um, I think, again, it's kind of going back to what we said earlier. A lot of people nowadays, they think you're an outdated manager if you don't have strict patterns of play and set routines and, you know, where it looks like you've obviously been coached to play a certain style. Um, for me, I don't agree with that. I don't see why a good manager can't give players freedom in an attacking sense. Um, now, I think when you saw Tottenham at the beginning of the season, they were, they took a lot of risk in the sense of, you know, they, they, they attacked with purpose and aggression and they looked to, they looked to kill teams early. I think in the first, after the first five games, they were the top goal scorers. Um, but, you know, the West Ham game, I think, scared Mourinho a little bit, um, obviously conceding three goals, so he tightened them up. And that kind of coincided as well afterwards with then that run of obviously very difficult fixtures where, you know, Mourinho is a manager that's very pragmatic. He will play to win. And if that means that you have to have, you try to have to dominate the ball, he'll try to dominate the ball. If it means that you have to sit back, you'll sit back. You know, he's not one of those managers that will play my, that play my way no matter what, he'll adapt. And, you know, I completely understand for the big games why he adapted and why they did sit further back and they did hit on the counter and it worked. It worked against City, it worked against Arsenal, it could have worked against Chelsea, some good results there. Um, the problem is, is that it's very difficult to get players to adapt to different tactical setups on a weekly basis. And in the immediate games after, um, you know, Spurs have just come off the back of being successful in those big games, playing that system. And all of a sudden you're now playing against, no disrespect to Crystal Palace or a team like that. And it's very difficult to completely change your style and maintain that. And, you know, the temptation can be, and it's not because Mourinho's told them to sit back, but, you know, it's the environment that has been set. So, you know, the environment that was set for, for a while was, you know, let's get into the lead and be defensively compact and low block and defend our defend crosses, etc. And, you know, you're going to one it up against Crystal Palace and the players can kind of be in the rhythm to go back into that set. And it's very difficult to, you know, completely adapt what you're doing. And I think that's why you saw those results coming is they were still in that kind of rhythm. And, um that was a disappointing thing for me is that, you know, I, I would like to see them play with a bit more risk. I don't have a problem mm. with them being a counter-attacking team. I don't have any problem with any style of football as long as it's successful, you know. I hate the notion, the right way to play. I think it's a lot of nonsense. Um, the right way to play is the way they get success. You know, it's a results-driven business. And, you know, I understand giving managers time and if it's part of the process to eventually get success, no problem. I understand that. But success has to come. You can't just get away with, with trying to do the right thing. It doesn't work like that. Um, and I just think that actually it wasn't working because they were just, the environment was just too negative in terms of like too risk averse. And I just think that, you know, they need, needed to go back to what they were doing at the start of the season and just have a few more, take a few more risks, pushing players forward and just get back into that mindset. And let's see if it's, you know, they've done against Sheffield United and let's see if they can maintain that. I mean, I don't think they're good enough to win the league, but... Uh, out of all these, if there's ever going to be a year they do it, out of all these crazy seasons, then maybe this one. But I think they're probably like a, a top, top centre-back and another top midfielder away from doing that. Mm. Um, I, think if they, I think if they had a, a, an elite-level centre-back this year, I think they'd win the league. Because if you look at a lot of the goals Spurs conceded, it's all well and good saying, well, you know, you can't sit back on a 1-0 lead. Well, <laughs> you kind of can if you've got, you know players like John Terry and players that live for that. You know, you can't, at the moment, you can't really trust Spurs' team to sit back on 1-0 leads. And that's why they're throwing a lot of them away. Um, yeah. So Spurs have to get in the 2-0 lead. They have to get into the 2-0 lead. Now, I don't think any manager is comfortable sitting on a 1-0 lead, but Spurs would have gotten a lot more points this year if they had an elite-level centre-back, let me tell you that. And I think they would have won the league if they had like a... So, I mean, it's all well and good saying this. Every, every club would like them, but they'd probably win the league if they had a Sergio Ramos. I do mm. believe that in this crazy year, but they don't. So it's weird because it's the same. It's the same for quite a few clubs. I said to a friend today, like you put, you put Sancho and, a, and an elite center back in United's team and they walk this league. You put a, right. an elite center back in, you know, if Virgil van Dijk's not injured, Liverpool are probably neck and neck with city right at the top. And mm. you see, you've seen at city, what finding a very, very good center back can do. Ruben Diaz has been a revelation. And yeah. it means that you can start winning 1-0. Like, if I said to you, Harry, like last year, 
Pep Guardiola is going to be winning 1-0 like four, five, six, seven, eight times this, this season, you'd probably laugh in yeah. my face. And it's crazy how football can, can kind of shift to like, well, actually, you know, uh, 1-0 doesn't look so bad if you've got the right defence and the right goalkeeper to, to kind of, to, to kind of sure. stop that opposition. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things that's happened with Spurs, though, I think, is at the beginning of the season, there was so much, so many teams that just went out and attacked Spurs. And I found it quite strange. And Spurs are one of the best counter-attacking uh, teams in the league. And when you've got a player yeah. like Harry Kane who can, who can pick up the ball in, in kind of between the lines on the break and transition so quickly it can be fatal where they've struggled is where teams really sit low against them. Uh, you know, Leicester, even Newcastle to an extent in that second half where they kind of lost that goal uh, right at the end, which was a really unfortunate penalty before the handball rules got changed. It feels like that's where it's harder for Spurs to break teams down. It's like when they're not playing on the counter, it's harder for them to go out and, and, and really bombard teams. You see, that's interesting because I actually think that even against those low block teams, Spurs have shown that they can have certain positional structures and mm. they know they do know they've shown they do know how to keep the ball and they can keep the ball and I think Spurs Spurs style of play the, the thing is is that when when you give good players freedom it's very difficult for the opposition to plan for that because let's say you're you're doing your um, tactical analysis of Manchester City you can look at their set routines and like right this is kind of what they do if we stop that happening then we stop a lot of Man City um Whereas it's very unpredictable how Spurs attack. You know, it's just there's so many different ways to counterattack. Um, and when you've got players that can make something happening out of nothing, people like, you know, Tangi and Dombly that can create something out of nothing in terms of breaking a line. Uh, Harry Kane that done what you can say. Sun Hoon Ming who needs a bit of space to be effective. Spurs have a lot of ways they can attack. So I don't actually have an issue with how they've played against those low block teams. They've, they've gone into the lead against most of those teams. The problem for me in recent weeks has been that when they do get into that lead, if they don't get that second goal, they just get deeper and deeper and deeper. And now, because they don't have those set patterns of play, there's no consistent way to get out of that pressure. There's no consistent way to get up the pitch. And the deeper you get, the more the, ch- the, the higher the chance you're giving the other team to score. Because obviously, you're letting them get closer towards your goal. Um, you know, um, well, as long well, that's not necessarily true. But if you're not completely defensively organised, like a Chelsea low block would have been which Spurs aren't yet. They, they haven't got the, the, the individuals for that to do that yet. So Spurs sitting deep does lead to chances. And I just think it's more their reaction to going ahead when they don't get the second goal. Spurs go 2-0 up. For me, I'm as confident as I can be that the game is done. The game is done. Um, when they go 1-0 up, if they don't get <laughs> that second goal and then you start seeing them deeper and deeper, you just know 75 to 90 minutes, that goal is going to come for the opposition in whatever way it comes because they don't yet have the profile of players to do that. So playing against those low blocks, I don't think the setup is a problem. It's how they react to going ahead just 1-0 against those teams. That's been the problem. Yeah, I think there is a little bit to build on here. And I just hope that um, Mourinho doesn't get that kind of third season syndrome as he sometimes does. Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, well, well, well. Uh, honestly, <laughs> if I'm not speaking as the objective host, Matt, I really do that that does happen. Um <laughs> Look, I, what, what I want to do next, Harry, was just kind of rattle off some names. Me and Matt can just rattle off some names uh, in, in, in the Premier League, kind of young players who have either broken through or having their kind of second season in the league. Um, and I just yeah. want you to give us kind of like an assessment of, of how you feel about them. So, uh, Matt, do you want to start? Yeah. Um, first, I want to touch on uh, Fikayo Tomori, as I mentioned earlier in the recording here. Uh, on his way to Milan, or actually confirmed as a Milan player on loan with an option to buy um, there's been a lot of talk about the handling by Frank Lampard, given Tomori's mm. shown potential, he's shown growth, and then for him to be completely just frozen out, more or less, from the squad, number one. Number two, the uh, the fact that there's an option included in there, and I think the general consensus around Chelsea fans, uh, from what I've been reading, um, has been disappointment. A player that is obviously uh, very talented, does um, at least at one point prove to be um, a long-term player in the back for them, is potentially another stroke of genius, another shrewd signing by Paolo Maldini in Milan. So I guess give give me and, and really Milan fans specifically who want to know more about him and, and why it kind of led to this point and ultimately what they can expect um, in terms of his profile. I mean, I'm flabbergasted that Chelsea included the option to buy. I mean, Tomori is the kind of player that you just, is a dream to come from your academy. He's got so many attributes that you look for in a modern day centre-back. And I actually do know that one of the, one of AC Milan's um, 
recruitment people is on Twitter and um, I won't put his name out there, but uh, I think I know, I think I know who it is too. I'm not going to say it. You know who it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. But um, yeah. what is it's this? Basically, it's, it's, it's no, it's no, when you, when you know who that person is, it's no surprise that AC Milan's recruitment has been top draw in the last, mm-hmm. however long. Um, seriously intelligent. Um, and Tomori's another one. Um, for me, he's, um, he's, he's, he's just got so much to his game. I, I think you can read the game really well. He obviously needs experience and, you know, centre-backs, generally tend to develop a little bit later, um, which is fine. So, of course, it's going to be the odd mistake. Um, but generally speaking, he, he, he reads the game well. He's, compo- he's got that composed assertiveness, which I look for in centre-backs, where it's like he's not rash, he's composed, but he can, he can be assertive. He's very quick on the half-turn as well. And he, so that's the, you know, the recovery speed and behind is a big thing nowadays. For me, he's really good on the ball. He's a, he keeps the game open at all angles. So you see a lot of centre-backs, they can only play, for example on the side of their strongest foot because they can only push the ball to that side. Tomori can push the ball in straight lines. He can carry it out towards the left. So he can play left centre-back as well. And just a real, real talent. And I think that as long as he's allowed time to develop and, and you know, edu- be educated, I think he's going to go on to become a superb player. I really do. And I really like this move. I really like um, him being brave enough to, because it does take, it's a big thing. You know, we all say about mm-hmm. players who just move abroad, but, you know, you're a young man and you're going to live in a country that's, culturally so different from where you're from completely mm-hmm. different language uh, different style of football. and he's still so got to really... fight for an opportunity massively AC Milan still got to fight you know they still superb this year he's like he hasn't taken a move where he's guaranteed games he's got to fight to get his way right. in there um, but no I think it's a brilliant signing from AC Milan and I really really hope it works out well for the boy I really really like him and Tomori too one last thing uh, you know beyond the his profiles his potential his abilities everything that he offers that you mentioned from what I'm seeing and what I've just did the early interviews with uh, Milan TV seems like a class individual. He seems like a, a, like a guy who's very humble, very reserved. Yes. But on the field is that's where he really shows what he's capable of off the field. He seems like a guy, a family man, someone who's really dedicated to the things that he values the most in life. And those are the types of players I like to see at Milan. I know some people um, like these sort of vibrant, like, big personalities who are you know, doing this, doing that. And that's fine. But I like a player who understands what he's stepping into, has a somewhat, somewhat humble approach. You know, he talked about the conversation he had with Paolo Maldini, and that felt like this is where I want to be. So there's a motivation mm-hmm. there, yes, but there's a hardworking individual who is really dedicated to what he's doing. And I think that's really important for, for Milan at this point in time with the project. Well, one, one thing I can guarantee is that if you – if you're still at Chelsea, but beyond the age of 17 and, you know, you come out of Chelsea Academy and you're still there from under 18s or under 23s, you are a hard, hard individual within, you know, that that's a mm-hmm. tough environment to, to survive in. So if you're still there at those ages, there's a good, good chance you're going on to have a pro career. Um, you have to be a hard, hard person to, um, in, within um, emotionally and uh, mm-hmm. mindset to, to come out of that. So, you know, you know, the, the AC Milan will be signing a player with a tough mentality. So, no, you're spot on. What about uh, Emil Smith-Rowe at Arsenal breaking out this season? Surprising for not only the general public, but Arsenal fans as well. Um, Matt? Harry? Can't speak to the, that. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the thing for me is that um, Smith-Rowe is a good player. But the thing for me is that he doesn't even have, he doesn't have to be that good to have completely changed what Arsenal have been because you, it's been so obvious that you guys have just been crying out for that player. Before under Arteta, it'll be, you're only going to create a chance a certain way, certain patterns. It's very stagnant possession. It's, it's like receiving ball to feet. And if those certain combinations don't work, that are worked on the training field, you're not scoring. Now, all of a sudden, you've got that one player in the 10 position that's taking risk, getting the ball in the half turn, passing forward, passing and moving, one, twos, and the game opens up. And all of a sudden, Saka, Lacazette, Aubameyang, they have freedom to move now because you're drawing players out of position. You know, before it would be like players stick to their certain zones. They only make certain movements, predictable. Teams can set up to stop that. And you didn't have the individuals to do that. Now you just have one player that's passing and moving, opening the game up, and everything changes. Everything changes. So Smith-Rowe is a very, very good player. But my point is he didn't even need to be that good. Mm. You just needed that style. You needed that style to play in that way. Um, and everything changed when he when he got into the first team. He's a very good player. You know, he looks he, like, like a coach's it. dream as well. You know, two footed. Yeah. He, he he picks up space really well, and he does things so, as you mentioned, Harry, so simply. Like the way he he finds space really well, which is also really hard to do in that number ten position. And it's often why a lot of these players um, 
uh, mature quite later in their careers, you know, the mm. David Silvers of this world, etc. Um, he, he's he just he does the simple things extremely well, uh, and he never panics and always plays up with his uh, plays with his head yeah. up, brother. I like I like his smooth style. He never looks mm. rushed. Um, he, he's comfortable sort of drawing players in and then popping it off in tight areas. Um, you know, quick turn passes around the corners, um, first time passes. Um, and he's also he's also a threat in the box. He likes to run ahead of the ball. I'm a big big fan of that. Anybody that follows me knows I, I I don't like I don't like it when midfielders just receive behind the ball. I like players that run ahead of the ball. And um, he's someone that does that. He makes entries into the box. So he's yeah he's a good player. What I don't like is I've, I want I want people to keep calm over him. You know he's, he's got <laughs> yeah. into the team. Yeah because it's not it's not fair. You know it's not fair on the lad. And I get that there's a social media culture, but. And I, you know, I guess I'm guilty of doing it as well when you overhype players before they've done too much. But you know, just keep calm. He hasn't done anything spectacular yet, because when it starts having that dip, you know, those people will be the same ones to start criticising him. So let him flourish, let him develop. You know, let him play. Odegaard's coming now, or is he? I don't know if he's been announced, but he's obviously tomorrow coming apparently. In. Tomorrow, so you know that's going to happen. You know, he's going to share minutes with him. So he's in a good reign of form. Um, but let's keep patient. You know, he's yep. not the Let's not call him the next De Bruyne yet. You know, let's just, you know, it's a long way to go. But um, he's a good player. He's a good player. Um, clearly has a good mindset. And, you know, Arsenal, Arsenal were having um, a good reign of form, vein of form of um, talents from their academy being ready for first team. Um, you know, I don't know whether he's going to stay or go, but one of them that's uh, in your ranks, Balogun, I mean, Oh. It'll be a great shame. It'll be a great shame for you guys if he went because that is that is a that is a talented boy. Let me tell you. Um, yeah, tell us a bit more about him, Harry. He's just so so talented. He's he's just got so much to his game. He's he's technically outstanding. He's um he's just a, he's just one of those just a joy to watch. He has physical attributes that are superb. Um, he can he's got close control. He can drive with the ball. He's got superb technical attributes. He's a bit of a killer as well. He's just. He's going to go very, very far, I think. Um, but again, look at me, look at me overstating players when uh, I just said that about Evan Smith Rowe. But uh, <laughs> he's a talent, he's a talent, and I'll be, I'd imagine that Arsenal. I'd be very surprised if Arsenal aren't doing everything they can to keep him. Let me tell you. I'm pretty sure they're trying their best behind the scenes, but there's some uh, agent tomfoolery at hand, I think. And uh, I mean, with, he with, wants minutes with as well. Like, yeah, with talents like that, um, they can kind of. I'm not saying this is what's happening at all. I don't know what's going on with that situation. <laughs> but talents like that, they can hold the club to ransom a little bit because they know how good they are and there is going to be interest from a lot of other people. So, you know, why would he sign a contract if he doesn't think he's going to get mm. minutes there? Do you know what I mean? You only have to look at people like Jaden Sancho. And uh, I mean, even Reese Nelson, who went out, um, he's, he's come back from Hoffenheim and he hasn't really established himself yeah. at Arsenal, but he did get those minutes at Hoffenheim. He became an, a, an established pro. Now, if he stayed at Arsenal, he probably would have never got those minutes. And his next contract, he probably would have filtered down the leagues. And now, like, you know, you're looking at like a League One or a League Two. But now we've got those established minutes in the top division. Um, people will look at it and think he's played at the highest level. We know we can trust him. So, Reese Nelson will probably get, if Arsenal don't win, we'll probably get another top move because of that, you know, because of A, the talent, but also because he's proved himself at the highest level. So, you can see why someone like Balogun, I don't know, again, I don't know what's happening there. But you can see why perhaps he would look to leave if he doesn't think if he's good if he if he backs himself to get the minutes and to play first team football, you know why would you stay? Do you know what I mean? I do hope if he goes, he goes somewhere where he's going to play. I've I've seen Leipzig linked, and that was the the one that's most heavily um, been linked. I'm just looking at like if he goes there, is he going to play week in week out? I just do hope he. I, I hope he goes somewhere where he can play enough minutes, but doesn't end yeah. up being like a a Stefan Mavididi or, or someone like that. Right. Um, yeah, a yeah. that goes and kind of plays at these kind of low lower rungs of like the top five leagues and doesn't really establish themselves. Um, I think young players are getting smarter and knowing what's good for them um, yeah. and knowing where they should go for development purposes. I think they're getting smarter with that. Um, you know, obviously there's people out there that obviously are giving people like James Sancho good advice around them as well, which is a good thing. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'd be confident that he's going to make this a, a good decision and um, hopefully fulfil his potential because, yeah, there's, there's a talent there. Harry, let's, let's, let's shift to Manchester United here for a moment. Um, yes. Mason Greenwood. Uh, obviously, he had a really good season last year, scoring um, amongst Manchester United's top scorers and really just showed everything he's capable of. Um, sure. Coming into this season with them having Cavani in the equation, uh, that big chase, their big pursuit until the very end for Jadon Sancho. Um, Greenwood's, uh, it takes a lot for a player to kind of adjust from that and 
keep things moving. I think there's, we talked about, you know, some of the players that we, at Chelsea who were looking around seeing stars come in and maybe questioning their, their sort of position at the club. But Greenwood's really just it's business as usual, still scoring goals, still an influence, uh, still showing his, his left foot, right foot, really what he can do in the final third. So speak on Greenwood's growth so far and really his impact uh, in Manchester United being title contenders this year. I mean, Greenwood, you know, you, you can never tell with young players um, where they'll go. You know, the, you can never tell. So many things can happen. But with someone like Mason Greenwood, you can have, a, you can have made a pretty good guess that this was going to happen because he's just so talented and he's a killer. You can even see, by the way, he celebrates goals. I think I remember just his celebration for his uh, first ever Man United goal. And it was like, you know, he's a young kid. He scored for his boyhood club and his debut amazing. And he was just kind of like, yeah, and what this, this is what I do, <laughs> do you know what I mean? and that that kind of like you know he just he's just so assertive, it, he's so confident in himself, and um, he's one of the best finishers in the league already because of how he's able to just for me he's he's got the finish like a radar, even if it's not always going to be struck completely cleanly, it's going to end in the kind of area where he wants it to go and where it needs to go, um, and his ability to strike so quickly with little backlifts um, off of both feet. Um, it's a nightmare for keepers, you know. By the time they even start to jump, the ball's already in the back of the net because he's just able to do it so quickly. Um, he's just a killer goal scorer. Um, I think he's going to add more to his game as well as he continues to get more minutes. I think Solskjaer's done a brilliant job with his development so far. Um, he hasn't relied on him all the time. He's taken him out of the firing line because, you know, how often do you see English players start to struggle, and which is normal, and have their, or even, you know, just young players in general, have their dipping form and then the media gets on their back, say, oh, were they overstated? Were they overhyped? That, Greenwood just went through a 10-game streak where he didn't score a goal. You, I don't remember too many reports of Greenwood, you know, saying, oh, he's overhyped, you know, which is good. And I think that's down, I think a lot of that's down to Solskjaer because he's taken him out the firing line at the right times and he's a superb talent. I think he'll end up as a number nine um, because he's just such a killer goal scorer and has so much variety of finishes. And you kind of want him in those zones as often as possible. And I think that when he, you know, continues to develop physically, um, you know, learns how to bring other aspects to his game, like playing, uh, you know, better with his back to goal and bringing others into play, I think he'll end up as a striker. But for now, I think there's a really nice balance of like often playing coming in from the right, but sometimes at striker, you know, he's a talent. He's a really, really good player. Really good player. Do fans and the social media age... Harry put too much pressure on strikers being too good too early I look yes. at the guys like <laughs> apart from like maybe an Aguero if you look at where yeah. Lewandowski Kane uh, yeah. top top striker Luis Suarez right now top strikers where was Harry Kane at 1920 where was yeah, getting, Lewandowski getting, getting at his experience, yeah getting his lines yeah where where, 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 where are some of all these top strikers at those ages so it makes it even more impressive to me when a, when a guy like Greenwood could come in and actually contribute. And he's had some off-field issues, you know, the, the Iceland thing. Um, the, I think he had a, a friend of his commit suicide, which was really, really horrible, of course. These guys are humans and they're, they're not going to be completely unaffected. The one thing I do want to see from him is a bit more of that assertion, the aggression. Um, and, and that will come when he, when he fills out a bit more physically. But I remember yeah. when Marcus Rashford burst out on the scene, he just seemed yeah. to want it so much. And there was that assertion and aggression in his game. Mm. And when Greenwood gets that, that will come with confidence. I'm sure I'm, I think he's going to contribute a lot to this United team. Yeah, 100%. Um, and they're also different styles. Marcus Rashford is a very, very dynamic, yeah. aggressive player in his style. Um, Greenwood um, is a bit more um, bit more cultured, you could probably say, um, in how he plays. But, you know, that, that's fine. There's different styles. But I think I agree with you. I think that will come. It will come with experience as well. You know, you're young scoring goals is one of the hardest things to do in football, mm. um, to do it consistently for any player and to maintain those levels. It's so difficult, you know, Um because you're now you're, you're having to try to make something happen against really good players. It's not like it's not. I'm not saying it's easier being a defender, but you know when you're a defender, generally your your main job, generally speaking, it's kind of it's not obvious what you're supposed to do. But you're there to stop. For me, it's easier to stop something than it is to now create something. You've got to now come up with something. Do you know what I mean? Um, so scoring goals is one of the hardest things, and players need to be given time to learn the ropes, to learn the tricks of the game, to learn how to learn how to play real men's first team football, learn, learn, the, learn the dark side, learn if a player is, you know, pushing you high and how do you take advantage of that? You know, you need, you need these experiences. You need to go through these droughts mentally and stuff to, 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 
to get to that level. I don't think there's been, you know, there's never been a player in world football, as far as I'm aware, that's come in at 17 and scored 20 goals a season every season straight away. You know, yeah. I mean, it probably took, I might be wrong here, but it probably took Messi three or four seasons before he started scoring more than a goal a game. Do you He's know what I mean? basically so, the only player, right? That him and Ronaldo. But even him, even, even, had but even them, even them too, you know, they, you know, it, it was. It took. A, it took a few seasons before they started yeah. scoring their ridiculous rate of a goal a game. You know, I, I haven't got the stats right now. But Messi's first two seasons, he, he was probably in his first three seasons. He probably played something like I don't know, seventy games and scored twenty goals, something like that. I don't know. I might be wrong, but you know, it takes time to an experience to develop to get those to get those kind of consistent numbers. And there's no guarantee you ever do. So he's made a fantastic start to his career, a really good one. And um, if he does have his dip, like he did, without scoring for 10 games, no need to panic, no need to overreact. Just those players are going to go through those ruts. And, you know, you just saw the way he took his finish versus Liverpool yesterday. That's a man that, that's a, that's a, he's a young boy, but that's a man that, that is so confident in himself. I mean, that's a big moment for him yesterday. 10 games without a goal, and he finished that so confidently. There was, he backed himself, and, uh, you know, that fair play to him. Yeah, Messi in his first four league seasons 78 appearances and yeah. 31 goals so you've literally you literally you weren't far away <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Um, because that's, that's just the way that's the way football goes it's it, the, the greatest player i've ever seen and he needed the time obviously he still was incredible at 17 18 yeah. but i'm talking about producing the consistent incredible numbers he reached now, i'm not saying green would ever reach those numbers of course not but to reach consistent numbers and consistent performances you need the experience you need the time What about Callum Hudson-Odoi? You're a massive fan uh, of his. You're a massive... I've seen you rave and, uh, about this guy a lot. I'm not as bullish about him as you are, but I want to hear why you're, why you're, so, uh, why you're so hyped about him. Yeah, Still. He, for, for me, he is the most talented academy player I've ever seen uh, across any... In, in, in the world, ever. Um, he's just... As a wide forward, he just has so much to his game. He can... His understanding of space and movement is superb and how to get separation away from the ball so he can then attack. His dribbling is superb. He can have close control. He can drive the ball. He can receive the ball deep and get the ball up the pitch. He can receive high and maintain the ball. He can go direct. He can retain the ball and slow it down with more of a controlled tempo. He's a, a creative passer. He's got a superb ball striker. He can go the outside and inside of players. He can play all the angles. Um, the only thing I want to see more of his game is making runs off the ball in behind the back line. But other than that, he has everything to his game. Um, I think he needs to back himself again, 1v1s. I think that obviously when he's attacking 1v1 on the ball, I think that obviously the Achilles injury, it takes a long while to recover from that physically and mentally. He has to trust his explosiveness again and trust his ability to go 1v1, but that will come. And I just think there's there's a talent there that's, that's a gener- that is a generational talent there that needs the environment. He needs to be backed. If I've if I've got Hudson Odoi, I'm put it this way, I'm not knocking any manager, but if I'm Hudson Odoi's manager at any club, I'm backing myself to make that into one of the best players in the world. I really am. There's everything there that's needed for him to be go on and become a superstar. And for me, that's not overstating it because I'm not talking about he's going to be amazing. I'm not doing a, a thing I said I hate people do earlier, overstating it. I'm just talking about the talent and what will be there, I think, if he's given the opportunity. Um, he's got enough of a profile now. where <laughs> It doesn't matter what I say, but... Um, you know, I think it's there for him to go on and become a superstar. Um, but he has to be allowed the chance to do that. And even the stuff like, you know, he's really good on the right. Like I said, he can play at all angles. He can provide so much variety to the attack. But, you know, he's playing at the right, on the right, or he's been playing on the right to compensate Pulisic, who's a good player in his own right, but has scored like two goals in 16 games. And it's like, why, for me, he's the best, husband of is Chelsea's best wide forward. Why are they you know, not getting the best out of him just to compensate someone else that isn't as good. You know, Pulisic isn't an amazing goal scorer. He's really good at taking it past players and getting separation and, and you know, making the space. Well, he can do that on the right. He's not great at taking advantage of the space. So stick Pulisic on the right if he has to play and put put your best player where he should be, I think. Um, but that's just that's just my opinion. But um, mm. no, I think, he's a, I think he's got the potential to go on and be a, a superb talent, um, a superb player rather. Harry, I want to ask you about Ize. Um, I may be pronouncing it wrong at Crystal Palace. Um, yeah. I know you guys have probably watched him a lot more than I have, but I've obviously he's become one of the big names, big young talents to, to really break onto the scene this year. At least I know maybe last year he got some minutes, but generally speaking, this seems like the year where he's kind of more 
asserted himself and imposed himself in the Premier League and is kind of bursting into the mainstream. Um, what, what, what do you make of his season thus far? Do you think he's um, someone who would be benefiting from staying at Crystal Palace further? Do you think he's ready for the next step? Do you think maybe outside of Europe is, I mean, not Europe, outside of England is where he should maybe consider? What's, what's the future look like for him if you're projecting that far? Really, really bright. I think Crystal Palace was a great move. I think that, you know, playing in that team right now where, where Hodgson kind of like, he wants those, he, someone needed to help Zaha out with the, with the creative influence. And the, so I think as he's allowed to show what he can do in that team, um, but also learn the, the, the discipline side of the game at a high level. So I think it's a brilliant move for him. Um, and I think he's made a really, really good start. He's a really good player, really creative, um, very unorthodox, a um, bit of a maverick in terms of what he does. Um, he surprises, he, 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 he plays off the cuff. Uh, he can provide, um, again, a lot of variety to the attack, um, progressible in different ways. He can receive deep, he can receive high, um, skillful. Um, it, looks, it looks unorthodox. It doesn't always look like it's uh, clean as a whistle, but it's so dynamic, it's so positive. Um, and it's so creative that it, that it works, you know. Um, he's not one of those that looks completely silky and completely, he doesn't look like he's, he doesn't always look like he's completely in, in control of what he's doing, but that's a positive for him. It's because of his dynamism and his aggression and his creativity and his, and his, and his skill to be able to do that. Um, it often looks quite chaotic, but that's not a problem. Um, yeah, he's a really good player, really good talent. I think it's a great move. And again, it's the kind of move where he's allowed to develop um, without too much limelight on him. He's getting lots of minutes. So really smart move, fair play to him. Comes across as a really intelligent young man as well Anytime I've heard him in interviews. Um, so a really smart move. We've been very tempted to join one of the big, big clubs straight away. But I think he's made a great decision, joined a really good club, um, got a great manager there that's, you know, done it all in the game. And um, no, I like him a lot. And yeah, his ceiling, his ceiling, it could be as high as he wants. Why can't he go on to be the... A, a huge player at a club like Man United or someone like that. I, who knows? Who knows? Um, there's a really good, talented player there. Really good, talented player. Last one that we're going to ask you about in the Premier League is Curtis Jones. This is a guy that I really yeah, like. But I wanted nice. to get your, yeah. your thoughts on him. He just looks like a really silky smooth operator in the middle of the park. Um, without wanting to sound like an old-fashioned your dad kind of uh, person, um, he's a proper footballer. Um, <laughs> and yeah, but, but I think I think people that know the like you you two like people that know the game will will know what I mean by that. I don't mean someone that goes around crunching into people. I mean proper footballer that just he does the right thing. He knows the game. He's in control of what he does. Everything's correct. Um, Spurs played Liverpool a few weeks ago, um, and Spurs were deep and compact. And he was phenomenal um, in that match. Phenomenal. He was the best player on the pitch, I thought, because his understanding of, again, I'm saying it again, running ahead of the ball, making runs in between the lines, disrupted Spurs' whole, disrupted Spurs' setup because they were deep, they were compact. Now they've got a midfielder that's running into those lines. So someone has to go and out of position to pick him up because he's, he's a good player. And yeah, technically astute, tactically really smart, can play in a different variety of roles. Um, seems to have a bit of spite to him. Seems to be a leader. Um, you know, good mentality. Good, good footballer. Knows what to do. Um, and um, England have a few of these eights coming through, actually. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they seem, you know, like Bellingham as well. Like, you know, different kind of players in a way. But, you know, it's good. It's really nice to see. And, um, and it's nice to see these talented youngsters getting minutes at big, big clubs. And Phil it's, Foden it's great. as well. Phil Foden, Bellingham at Dortmund. Um, I, I hope Hudson Adoy does. Mason Mount at Chelsea. I hope Hudson Adoy does get more minutes at Chelsea. You know, it's. It's Bukayo Saka at Arsenal. It's really good to see. Um, these are these are really good players, and you know there's a big thing nowadays about you know young players aren't given a chance. Well, it's not as simple as that because managers want to win games. If they think that playing a 17 year old will help them win the game, they'll play the 17 year old. They're not doing it because they don't like kids, but you know their <laughs> jobs are on the line, and you know the player has to be ready. And a lot of young players aren't. But you know when you've got talents like this that they're forcing their way in, it's it's great to see and um, it can only bode well for the future for England. Mm. That's all for the Premier League bit. Outside yep. of England, who are, you, who are you keeping your eye on? Uh, put him on the spot there. So um, <laughs> I've got, I'm a huge fan of, um, I've spoken about him a lot, probably in like three different podcasts. Um, Gabriel Veron at Palmeiras. I mean, if people don't know about him, um, just do some research. You won't regret it. What a player that is. Um, Again, so dynamic, aggressive, creative, skillful, wide forward, um, variety of goals, variety of attack, really bullish. Um, 
you know, reminds me a bit of Alexis Sanchez, but I, 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 in certain traits, I don't want to compare him to Sanchez, but um, certain traits, there are similarities in terms of the dynamism and the aggression and the variety. Um, he's a player that I love. I'm a huge fan of Patson Dacca mm. uh, at Red Bull Salzburg. He's going to go very, very far. He's like Mane up front, if Mane was a striker. Um, so, you know, yeah, there's lots of good talents that are, that are coming around in the rest of Europe as well, certainly. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, the rest of the world, obviously. <laughs> Matt, any final questions? No, I think that's it. I mean, if you had to, or let, you know, let me, I have to do, I get my Serie A question in here. <laughs> or yeah, my course, Serie A question. Anybody you know before you go on to that, yeah. I'm, really start, I'm starting to really get hooked into Syria again. I was the there people that say there's so many people out there that they they, say, they seem to have knowledge of everyone, and I watch a lot of football, but I don't have time to watch every league. Um, mm. So for the last few years, I've preferred the German league, but I'm so sick of that league being unprofessional and immature in how they play. And I'm really enjoying Syria at the moment. So you know, I'm, I watched some games at the weekend. So no, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this one. Let's let's hear it. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about, um, and based on the, the amount that you have watched this year for Serie A, a great title race, a lot of uh, a lot of promising young players. Obviously, last year we saw Boga and several others really break out. Yeah. Has there been anyone specific that's caught your eye that's not a mainstream, not like a, a known commodity at this point? You know, it could be someone at the bottom of the table. It can be someone at, at a top club like Milan or Inter or Juve who's played a substantial amount of minutes for you to kind of – a proper judgment on them. Who, who have you liked so far? Well, the, the bits I've seen, I mean, I want, I want to watch more AC Milan, but the bits I've seen, I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to butcher his name. Jens Peterhaug. Is that yeah. how I say it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's one of those players that when he dribbles, it's like the ball is stuck to his foot like glue. Um, so silky, so smooth, can go inside and out. He weaves past players. He's, I think he's got that. I think he's got that ability to become a consistent goal scorer. He's got that kind of confidence and composure and belief in himself. Um, and I'm really interested to see how far he goes. So that's, that's a really good talent there. And there's lots of talents that are coming out of those kind of nations at the moment. Um, and, it, and it's good to see they're being picked up by smart clubs that are, that are looking to be smart, but, you know, intelligent with their recruitment. Um, you know, so he's a player that I'm, I'm really keeping an eye on. Um, I like him a lot. Yeah, and the one thing of Jens Peter Hager that I've seen so far this year, um, you know, in, in the little minutes he's gotten, he's started some matches recently because of injuries and COVID positive tests. But um, the one thing I will say, Harry, um, and you probably can speak on it further, maybe in, in more of your, your uh, observation of him, um, he has to be a little bit more incisive when he does get the ball. Um, sure. I think he does a lot of things really well on the ball. He's good 1v1. He scores some really nice goals this year. But sometimes when he gets the ball, he's kind of, doesn't know what to do with it as quick, yeah. as sharply as some of the others in the squad, which I think will take time. Serie A is, is, is a difficult league to adjust to. Obviously, going from Norway to, uh, to Serie A is a, is a big jump. Um, and Leao, if I had to recommend another Milan player to watch, yeah, probably yeah, Rafael yeah, Leao. Yeah. Um, Super dribbler, confident dribbler, takes guys on. Uh, yeah. He drip in pace. Everything seems to have purpose when he does dribble too. Mm. Um, and he's when he was at Sporting, his youth coach um, drew comparisons to Ronaldo. He's like, this is one of the best players that I've coached uh, at the youth level. He's right. I would yeah. like to compare him to Ronaldo. So obviously, big praise. But yeah, those would be the probably the two I think that, that I would agree with have, have stood out quite well. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying there about Jens Peter Haug, like. You know, that is, that is an issue, um, but that will come with maturity. You know, mm -hmm. you need to Absolutely. learning, understanding, you know, certain things that belong on a pitch. You know, a lot of that will be immaturity in terms of, oh, well, I was playing in Norway, I was playing youth football and I could get away with holding onto the ball for so long. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you, you need those first team minutes to, to understand what belongs on a first team pitch and understand the, the simple things and the, 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 the proper things that belong on a pitch as well as the talent. So, but that will come with time. 100%, 100%. Awesome. Well, I think that's what we've got time for. Harry, where can people find out more about you on social media and stuff? So I knew you were going to ask, so I made sure because I always forget my Twitter. Um, so it's HB underscore head coach. Um, so that's my Twitter. Um, if people have any interest in following my insight. And I guess if you want to see some of the plays that we coach um, on Instagram, it's uh, rules underscore round world. We don't put every player on there for obvious reasons, um, but um, you can see some of the players we coach and work with. Uh, mostly young talent goes on there. So um, yeah, that's where people can find me. Brilliant. And Matt. At Matt underscore Santangelo. Make sure you guys are also following at Milan Reports. I'm doing a lot of post-patch work um, about the Rossoneri with, of course, Martino. So make sure you guys go follow me personally and go follow Milan Reports.
And you can follow me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. And you can follow us at State of Play Pod on all socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And we'll have more State of Play podcasts for you next week. <laughs>